Around the world, big tech has been booming. There's Alibaba in China, Flipkart in India, Rakuten in Japan. And in Germany, there was Wirecard. Inside Germany, Wirecard was seen as an absolute star. Our colleague Paul Davies covers markets. I mean, Europe isn't exactly overflowing with big technology companies. And Wirecard was lauded as, you know, one of the best success stories. Wirecard is a payments company. It works in the background of millions of credit card transactions all over the world. It was successful enough to earn a place in Germany's DAX 30, the country's premier stock index. And at one point, it was worth more than Deutsche Bank. And then suddenly, last Thursday, Wirecard's star fell, quick and hard. Wirecard released a statement that said its auditors had been unable to confirm the existence of $2 billion worth of cash. And that was a real shock. $2 billion is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It's equivalent to all of its profits for over a decade. That went missing. Yeah, that's gone missing. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Thursday, June 25th. Coming up on the show, the mystery behind Wirecard's missing $2 billion and how one of Europe's top tech companies imploded. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Inside Germany, Wirecard was seen as a big tech success. And its leader, Marcus Braun, seemed to fit the mold of the big tech CEO. In recent years, he'd adopted that black turtleneck style of Steve Jobs, and he was a frequent speaker at conferences and events. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Yes. You know, I'm a shy person, but I try to speak loud. So that I think he was seen as a kind of a, a visionary, a leader. He was seen as somebody who would built up this company from very small origins into a DAX 30 institution. But Wirecard's business wasn't exactly sexy like Apple's. Braun wasn't selling iPhones. Wirecard's business was payments. It's really a very boring thing. You know, you don't know these companies as a consumer. You might occasionally notice a logo on a payment terminal, but you probably don't. Payment processing might be a little boring, but it's a crucial part of our economic infrastructure. Pretty much any time you buy something with a card, Wirecard or a payments company like it is involved. Essentially, what happens is you hand over your card details to a shop or some business online. Then there is a payments company, which collects those details and then deals with all of the communication between your bank, the merchant's bank, the pipework through which all of this stuff is done. And you don't notice any of this. And that's what a payment company does. It just 
takes your details and ensures that money goes from your bank account to, you know, create some new digits in the bank account of the person or the company that's selling you whatever you're buying. That's kind of it. For nearly two decades, Wirecard has been doing this behind-the-scenes work, growing into a $24 billion company at its peak. One of the ways Wirecard grew so fast around the world was by working with third-party companies. So say Wirecard wanted to set up shop in a new country, but it didn't have the right licenses to operate there. It would set up a partnership with a third-party business, which had those licenses, to do that payment processing work there. Wirecard had three of these third-party partners. There was one in Dubai, there was one in Singapore, and there was one based in the Philippines. And these companies grew to contribute a very large share of revenue and the vast majority of profits in recent years. These third parties would later turn out to be big players in the mystery of Wirecard's missing $2 billion. But years before that shoe dropped, Wirecard was already under fire for its business by some investors who were short sellers. Short sellers make money by betting against companies. They can do this quietly or loudly by publishing detailed reports to try to convince other investors that a company has a fundamental flaw. Some of Wirecard's short sellers were that loud kind. There was an investor in Australia who for about a decade claimed that Wirecard had artificially inflated its business through some acquisitions. And then in 2016, a short-selling operation called Zatara Research and Investigations made an even bolder claim. Zatara put out a report accusing Wirecard of facilitating payments on the gray market for things like gambling. People weren't really allowed to do a lot of gambling on the internet in the US. And what Zatara thought they'd worked out is that Wirecard was one of the leading processors of payments for gambling. And when the US cracked down on that and closed down a lot of online poker sites and this sort of thing, suddenly a whole load of Wirecard's profits ought to have disappeared, was the theory in the Satara report. And it didn't. Wirecard kept reporting big profits. Zatara's claim was that Wirecard was plugging the revenue hole left after the gambling crackdown by fabricating fake business through its third parties. The idea is of this report was that they then began a long history of concocting sales and earnings, essentially to cover up for the fact that most of their original business was no longer doable, was no longer viable. How did Wirecard respond to that report and to the allegations from the Australian investor? What Wirecard has always done is respond pretty aggressively to people who criticize it. With the Zatara report in 2016, Wirecard accused them of libel, of making stuff up, of defaming the company. And very quickly, the local regulator in Germany, the financial regulator Barfin, came in on Wirecard's side, essentially, and launched an investigation into the short sellers, into market manipulation by them, and pursued them rather than looking at the company. But even with Germany's financial regulator, Bafin, at its side, the accusations against Wirecard didn't let up. Last year, the Financial Times published a story about a whistleblower who alleged some of Wirecard's business handled through its Singapore office was faked. 
With accusations piling up, Wirecard was under increasing pressure to clear its name. So last year, the company called in an independent auditor, KPMG, to take a look at its books. On a call last November, CEO Marcus Braun assured investors they had nothing to worry about. We can totally confirm today that all of these allegations are unfounded. The revenue recognition was completely in line with the reporting and was fully authentic. But in April, when KPMG released its report looking into Wirecard's books... It was full of questions. KPMG complained that the company hadn't cooperated as much as it should, that documents were delivered late or not at all, or they didn't get the originals of documents. And they also complained that the third-party businesses at the heart of some of the questions about its business hadn't cooperated at all. And then they also raised for the first time that they couldn't fully identify what at that point was about a billion euros of supposed cash. And that was a real alarm bell. So rather than clear the company's name, this KPMG report raised more questions than it answered and said it couldn't find a billion euros. Exactly, yeah. How did that go down? So the shares tumbled. Lots of people were quite shocked. But the company still stuck to its guns and said, look, you know, there's no conclusive evidence of any wrongdoing here. You know, we'll shortly publish our full year results and we'll tell you how great we're still growing. Wirecard was preparing to wow investors again with yet another year's worth of stellar financial results. Instead, investors were in for a big surprise. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. This episode is brought to you by Canva. It's time to ditch your old presentation programs at work and try Canva presentations instead. It'll help you create stunning slides in no time. No design experience needed. Just start with one of the designer-made templates or generate something in seconds with AI. Then polish it up and get ready to wow your audience. It's that easy. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Tap the banner to learn more. Welcome back. Last week was the real bombshell. Wirecard was set to release its full annual report for 2019. It was due to report on Thursday. And what happened was, instead of reporting on Thursday, we were all sat there waiting for the numbers to come out. And instead came Wirecard's jaw-dropping revelation. Its auditors couldn't find $2 billion of the company's money. What did you think when you heard that? <laughs> okay, uh, I'll, let me try and give you a clean version of what I thought. Um, <laughs> so what I thought was I had imagined that what had been happening for so long would continue to happen. The results would come out, we'd still get no answers, and we'd all be there scratching our heads and still trying to work out what the hell this story was really about. In fact, it was suddenly apparent that this was about to 
probably unravel quite dramatically. And it did unravel. Within a day of Wirecard's shocking announcement, CEO Marcus Braun was out. And more details started to emerge about the $2 billion Wirecard's auditors couldn't find. Those details would raise even more questions. Before the $2 billion went missing, Wirecard had claimed the money was sitting in escrow accounts. The reason it had that money was for refunds. If customers came to Wirecard's third-party partners saying they needed a refund, Wirecard wanted its partners to have the money close at hand. This explanation that Wirecard was holding $2 billion in escrow for the chance of refunds, did that story make sense to you? It's kind of one of those things that you you sort of read and it kind of takes you a while to realize how strange it sounds. I mean, when you spend a lot of time reading the accounts and the releases and the statements of financial companies and talking to bankers and so on about what they do and how it works and why. I've been doing this for 20 years and it's still a world of very strange and unusual language. It's not words that we use every day. You know, words like escrow, collateral, trustee. They're not things that you throw into ordinary conversation. And sometimes it can take a while for your brain to kind of click into gear and think, hang on, this doesn't really make a lot of sense. The idea that Wirecard would need $2 billion, the amount of its total profits over a decade, to cover some refunds? Paul couldn't figure that one out. I have no idea, personally, why you would need to keep almost all of the money you've earned from some business in an escrow account in case, what, everything you've ever done needs to be refunded in one go? It doesn't make any sense. And now, it turned out, the money wasn't even there. Maybe it never had been. What's Wirecard saying now about the $2 billion? What Wirecard is saying now is that the money probably doesn't exist at all, and they're unsure if it ever did. And what they're also saying is that they are having to re-examine in detail whether these third-party businesses really ever did any work on behalf of Wirecard at all. Since the $2 billion bombshell, Wirecard's top leadership has been pushed out. The company brought in an interim CEO who now has to figure out what happened. So it seems like there are still a lot of question marks about what exactly was going on at Wirecard. What are some of the possibilities that have been raised? So they are that a vast amount of this business is completely and always was utterly fictitious. It never happened. The whole thing was a scam perpetrated on shareholders and lenders, effectively. Another possibility is that maybe some of this business was done, or a lot of it was done, but really it was dodgy business, it was grey market business, and it was done by people who weren't really acting on behalf of Wirecard, and Wirecard never saw any profits from it. And then there's the explanation from the former CEO that, Wirecard itself had been duped. You know, all of this business was totally normal and was done and money was paid to Wirecard into these escrow accounts. But some person somewhere at a relatively recent date kind of made off with that money somehow. So I guess there's three potential possibilities in that sense. But yeah, we don't yet know what the answer is. 
if this plays out to be a fraud? How big is this fraud potentially in the annals of fraud? And how does something this big happen? You know, this feels... I mean, we don't know the scale of the losses yet, but this feels like a kind of an Enron-type thing. In terms of who dropped the ball, who should have been paying more attention, who should have been in charge of this, I mean, obviously the local regulator and the local prosecutors. The president of BaFin, the head of the regulator, has said this week that they did make mistakes, and he's called this episode an absolute disaster. But also, I think... You know, one of the bigger lessons that we're going to have to draw from this is globally the payments industry is not really monitored in perhaps the way it should be. And I think monitoring the payment processes would be a great first step to prevent this sort of thing happening again. On Monday, German law enforcement arrested former Wirecard CEO Marcus Braun. Prosecutors are accusing him of artificially inflating Wirecard sales. Braun has repeatedly denied wrongdoing. Also on Monday, Wirecard said that maybe none of its third-party business ever existed. Today, the company filed for the German equivalent of bankruptcy. That's all for today, Thursday, June 25th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.